0: William John Cardinal Conway now laid to rest in Armagh was born in 1913 into a family of nine children at 108 Dover Street in the Falls Road area of Belfast Seamus Kelly went to school with him to the Christian brothers. There were about 20 of us in that particular
1: matriculation class. The hard-boiled sophisticates, many of whom later went far, as they say, played cards in the back seats. Being junior, I sat further forward and closer to the eye of authority in the near neighbourhood of two classmates who were namesakes but weren't related. One of them was Thomas Anthony Conway, and if he'd been in an American high school, he'd probably have been voted the one most likely to succeed in capital letters. Tom Conway was a brilliant all-rounder, but economic pressure forced him out of school and onto the emigrant ship before he matriculated. He went to New York, and in Manhattan he started his career as a bootlegger's runner went on to Wall Street from there and finished his business life as a big tycoon with a master's degree from Scott Fitzgerald's College, Princeton. The other Conway we called Willie or Bill. He had a high academic rating and, unlike myself, he was a good, solid worker. I was lazy and erratic, interested only in the things I liked, but sometimes fairly good at them because I liked them. So, the two Conways, myself and a man who is now a top medical specialist in the North, were rated the four bright boys of the class. Sometimes one of us on top, sometimes another. By the way, it's a tribute to Bill Conway and the context of the crowd he was with and the fact that he was known as a slogger, that he was well liked by his classmates. The same applied later on in Queen's where he did honours English with the barrier of a potential Roman colour between him and his fellow students. We saw less of each other at this period than we did at school, but in the years after, we sometimes bumped into each other, the Maynooth Professor and the Journalist. Then, in 1958, Dr Conway of Maynooth was made Auxiliary Bishop to Cardinal Dalton, with the title of Bishop of Navy. We had been schoolmates so I wrote him a friendly note of congratulation. It finished a bit facetiously with the line, You'll be glad you've got to a place now where I can't pass you out. Some weeks later, I got a formal acknowledgement from the new bishop. It was very formal, on an engraved card, you know the sort of thing. The Bishop of Neve thanks you for your kind message. And as I read it, I was wondering if the Episcopal elevation had made my old classmate a bit pompous. But then, down at the bottom, I came across a line in his own script. It said, Thanks a lot. You're darn right. Yours, Bill.
0: Paddy Scott knew him well as a student.
2: I remember him then as a tall, slim, shy young man, serious-minded and studious but there was nothing bookish about him. His natural shyness kept him from making friends easily at first. But once contact made closer acquaintance, there was revealed a warm-hearted man with a keen mind who even then chose his words carefully. He had a terse, penetrating style of speech, and in writing too. And this won him an honours degree in English. The learned and cultured and cultured uh, uh, theologian uh, and philosopher Monsignor Arthur Ryan, to whom we owe all a great deal, had an influence in the development of his keen philosophical brain. He was proud of Belfast, and at that time we were all proud of Belfast. And he was proud of his native parish, St Peter's, on the Falls Road, And I remember his first emotional words to the cheering crowds that welcomed his triumphal entry as the youngest cardinal in the Sacred College after paying tribute to his parents, he said, with great emotion. Thank you for welcoming me home. It was an emotional time. If he didn't play games... He took an interest in sport, especially the Gaelic Athletic Association and Belfast Celtic football club when it was in operation. He always gave the impression of being studious, methodical, exact, but never ostentatious. He was a kind man, caring for the poor and the oppressed. And I believe that his practical knowledge of the sufferings of the workless and the hungry, and the hungry people in the hungry thirties in Belfast, in those what we call harsh and cruel days, had an influence on his deep concern for the underprivileged, and this was reinforced when he saw the terrible tragedy of Bangladesh, and these combined increased his determination to do something, and that something he did by the establishment of Trucro.
0: After Queen's University, he went to Maynooth, where he was ordained, and where, after further studies in Rome, he was, in 1942, appointed Professor of Moral Theology and later of Canon Law, remaining there till the late 50s. Dr. Ender MacDonagh.
3: In that time, he displayed considerable intellectual vigour in his thought and great clarity and precision in his presentation. I was a student of his at the time, in moral theology. His theology was the theology of the time, cast basically in a legal form. And this I felt was sympathetic to the man because while he was a theologian as well as a lawyer, I felt his cast of mind was predominantly that of a lawyer. The clarity and the precision of the thought, the marshalling of facts and arguments were very much that of the advocate, not that he was unfair in argument, but that he was interested in what could be expressed in legal form and more precise formula. After he became a bishop, of course, his pastoral awareness must have influenced and broadened this approach, and there was no doubt that he was deeply under the influence of Vatican II. And he attempted, in his fashion, with all his energy and intellectual power to bring back to Ireland at a pace which he judged correct the insights of Vatican II. However his pace may not have been everybody's pace and his understanding of the insights still reflected the mind of the lawyer. Yet there is no doubt that he managed in a very turbulent time to maintain a certain intellectual equilibrium in the Irish Church. That intellectual equilibrium was due, I think, to his sense of proportion, to his value for theology and theologians, even though he disagreed with them.
0: In 1958, he was made Auxiliary Bishop to the late Cardinal Dalton, whom he succeeded in the promatial See of Armagh in 1963. Archbishop Morris of Cashel worked closely with him.
4: Uh, last time I spoke to him on the telephone, that was just uh, about a month ago, he thanked me for some notes that I had sent to him about changes in bishops' meetings and so on over the past 25 years, and he remarked, and there was a little bit of pathos about it in retrospect, about the number of bishops' meetings that he had presided over. He presided over a great deal, and it'll be, for us who knew him so well At that, in that uh, situation, it'll be one of our memories. Now, he, of course, brought to this work, same as he brought to everything else, all the wonderful talents and so on that he had. Uh, but one point, I think, will remain with me, and that is that as well as the talent, uh, say, uh, capacity for work and the meticulous outlook, I think there was one extra thing there which uh, ties in very well with the the church man in him. and That is that it was his service to the the bishops and to the church in Ireland. Uh, It ties in with the idea of uh, co-responsibility among bishops and collegiality, and uh, it's something... I think that would could be connected up with his availability. Uh, He was a servant of the community and he was available to it at all times, but also to the limits of his capacity. And he was unsparing towards himself in in, uh, giving that service.
0: Bishop Daly of Derry can add to this.
5: Cardinal Conway was a northerner a Northerner through and through. And he was born and he grew up on the Falls Road in Belfast. He shared all the feelings, the insights, the sensitivities that we all have as Northern Catholics. However, he went beyond the narrowness that sometimes hedges us in. He reached out to the Protestant community in an exemplary manner and his relationship, especially with the heads of the churches, was... Closer than that of any of his predecessors. He gave us all example and leadership. He was a man who demanded justice for his people. He was an outspoken opponent always of discrimination in any form. And it's conveniently forgotten by some that it was primarily his firm, clear, unequivocal statement of the facts that brought public credibility to the torture of prisoners after internment day in August 71. He was a man who opposed violence in all its forms from any source. And the agony of the people of the North dominated his concern. He pleaded and pleaded again and again with those who inflicted violence or injustice on their fellow men. And he repeatedly pointed out the incompatibility of violence or injustice with Christian living. And that his appeals went unheard and that the suffering went on here in his own community were causes of great sorrow to him, great anguish, and even now after his death. I wonder, is it too much to hope that those calls might be listened to and acted upon? Dr
0: Eric Gallagher is a prominent leader of the Methodist community.
6: I had the opportunity of meeting the Cardinal on quite a number of occasions, both formally and informally. I think the memory that I'll always take away with me was, is that of his humanity. He was essentially a very human person, very, very friendly, and at the same time, very humble. He delighted in good conversation. He liked to hear a good story, and he liked to tell a good story. A good deal of reference has been made to his pipe. I think sometimes he lit more matches and used more matches than he used tobacco. But he was essentially a good conversationalist, a most human person in every possible way. The um, violence of these last years ate very deeply into his feelings and into his thinking. He, he lived with this. And it was here I saw another of his characteristics, really. It was his memory, a most fantastic memory. He could remember the names of people who were killed, the, the townland they came from, the incidents in which various things had happened on both sides of the divide. He had that kind of phenomenal memory, and he also pitchforked himself right into the feeling of, of people. He, he could feel the, the sufferings they had gone through, and, uh, and he felt deeply for families. Then I want to speak about his uh, church relationships... I had the opportunity of being one of the early people from the Protestant side who met him, and it was a very interesting operation, you know. He was weighing us up, and I suppose we were trying to weigh him up. And uh, he was very anxious to know how the Protestant churches worked, and he took great delight in kind of trying to probe and feel out how we felt about things. I always had the impression he genuinely wanted to make improvements in our relationships, and he went a very, very long way. Perhaps people today say we should have done more. But when I look back at the situation as it was when he came into his position and as it is today, I realise that a tremendous change has taken place. We owe him a very great deal. People say he was a traditionalist, he was a, a gradualist, and I suppose this is true, but nonetheless he was graduating in the, in the direction that he wanted to go, in a direction that would do this country a great deal of good. I'd have liked to have seen... Uh, more progress, and I know he would have liked to have seen more progress, but I thank God for what has been achieved. Father Jim Lennon.
7: As a priest of the diocese, uh, the first thing I would want to say about the Cardinal was that he was a very fair man. Uh, To my knowledge, he never did uh, an unfair thing to any priest in the diocese. And he was always so available and so accessible to them. He always listened. And I think this is a great quality in a bishop. Then one thinks of his initiatives, the the new things he did, the part he played, for instance, in setting up the Catechetical and Pastoral Institute in Mount Oliver and his continued interest in it. He was, to a great extent, responsible for getting the whole new catechetical programme off the ground, that without his interest and without his support, that programme might never have started. I worked uh, fairly closely with him. I always found him a completely human Man, Um, A great sense of humour. In fact, uh, uh, talking about his availability and accessibility to priests, uh, uh, he was available and accessible to everyone.
0: Paddy Scott earlier mentioned how the Cardinal's concern led to the founding of Trocadae.
8: Brian McEwan fills in the story. My first involvement with the Cardinal in connection with third world problems was back in 1968. At that time, I was working at the international level in an organisation called CIDSE, which was a coordinating body of all the Catholic development agencies, and i had come to Ireland to speak to the Cardinal about the possibilities of the Irish Church setting up a development agency. In fact, i had come over to try and convince the Cardinal of the importance of this. What, in fact, I did find was that the Cardinal was fully convinced of the importance of it, and in turn, he had said to me that his problem was in trying to convince all the other bishops of it. Well, it took him approximately two years to achieve this. And uh, in 1970, the bishops launched an appeal for Bangladesh. This was a one-off appeal. And one of the amazing things about this appeal was that it raised over £200,000 in uh, a one-day collection. That, in a sense, was the start of Trokra. Uh, That appeal for Bangladesh was on the initiative and the instigation of the Cardinal himself. Trocra was officially set up in 1972 uh, by a joint pastoral letter on development and the Cardinal was the chairman of the Board of Trustees. The Cardinal was intensely interested in Trocra and in the whole Third World problem. I think this stemmed from his own personal commitment to people, and to the fact that he had been in the third world countries on several occasions. Once or twice he he mentioned to me, particularly when he would hear that uh, we had so many problems at home, we should look after our own problems, that charity begins at home. The Cardinal said to me a few times, he said that really when one is out there and sees the extent and the level of poverty, one would never uh, say such things as charity begins at home. I think that the Cardinal took great pride, great personal pride and encouragement at the level of support which Chokra received right from the start, both from the other bishops and from the, the people.
0: Cardinal Conway did not believe that charity should stay at home, but this did not, as we know, limit his concern for his own people. Jerry Fitt.
9: Well, I had met Cardinal Conway on a number of occasions since the outbreak of the present troubles in Northern Ireland. And uh, usually, we had deputations from the SDLP to talk to him, to discuss with him the problem, particularly as it was affecting my constituency in West Belfast, where Cardinal Conway was born and reared. I found Cardinal Conway very easy to talk to, very approachable, and he was certainly a man who was deeply concerned about what was happening in the area in which he lived the Falls Road, Dover Street, in which he was born, and Dover Street, which came into prominence again on the 14th and 15th of August 1969. These were, this was an area which was very close to the Cardinal's heart.
0: And much of what he did at this time, he did by stealth.
9: Yes, I found Cardinal Conway, and I found this to be rather refreshing, unlike most politicians, he didn't want to go on television and to see his name in the paper for every act which he did. And I do know that behind the scenes he was meeting various groups of people and not all Catholic people to try to influence them to do whatever was possible to end the violence in Northern Ireland. He didn't get publicity for this, but I know that he was working tirelessly behind the scenes to try to erase the violence from the streets in which he was born
0: from the other end of the political spectrum,
10: Lord Hailsham. I first met the Cardinal, I think, in 1969, when I was sent over to Northern Ireland uh, by Mr Heath to report to him and to the Conservative Conference about what was then the beginning of the sequence of events that we now know only too well. And in the course of my visit there, I asked the Cardinal to receive me um, explaining to him exactly the nature of my mission Uh, he became quite a friend of mine we never saw each other very often I met him occasionally on official occasions but uh, we corresponded quite considerably and um, I think we could he would have um, liked me to say that we were friends Um, he um, was able to help me on more occasions than one in my official duties when I was Lord Chancellor and I owe him, in fact, a very great debt of gratitude because um, he always responded to what I asked and always kept my confidences. I think we, um, both of us, um, approached the matter as uh, believing Christians. I, in uh, a very humble way, and of course he as a prince of the Roman Catholic Church, and I think uh, we, we talked on that wavelength. He was a teacher of, I think, moral theology, and uh, knew a great deal of the theory of the Roman Catholic Church in relation to legal matters, and therefore we spoke uh, on a level in which both of us were experts in our own subject uh, whenever we did speak uh, on serious Concerns. He was, of course, as you know, a person of uh, uh, quite humble origin in the Falls Road, and um, neither he nor I pretended to have the same political views, but I think that he um, uh, combined uh, a a very considerable presence and eminence. He was a big man physically as well as uh, in every other way. Uh, He had combined the dignity and presence that you would expect of a cardinal, with uh, um, a sympathy for the common people, which I think was quite unmistakable. I don't think that either of us um, looked upon the other as an advisor. Uh, I think on the contrary, uh, he had things to ask of me and to find out about uh, from me, and um, I had things to ask of him. And uh, uh, certainly on that first occasion when we met, uh, the great question of the day, which has long since been um, over overridden by Vance, but the great question of the day was whether he would help uh, to get um, members of his church to join in uh, the, the police and on what terms. And we spoke very frankly about that. He made me certain promises and he kept his word to the letter. More recollections,
0: this time from Jack Lynch.
11: I first met Cardinal Conway at a function in Ivy House. It was shortly after he was appointed Auxiliary Archbishop of Armagh and before he was elevated to the College of Cardinals. I hadn't known him, and I may say known of him, until that day, except, of course, what I had read about his appointment as an auxiliary bishop in the newspapers. But coming into the room in ivy house one was immediately conscious of his presence not so much because of his physical stature but there seemed to be something else there seemed to be a quiet authority in the man and later in the same at the same time on the same day i thought that he seemed to be a very shy man so i felt that Here was a paradox right away, but that paradox seemed to persist right through the rest of his life. I met him, of course, a number of times after the troubles in the North became uh, particularly acute from 1970 onwards. And, of course, his main concern during those days was the violence and the hope that violence could be ended. We met on number of details and he always appeared to be concerned about almost every detail of events uh, that was happening and every prospect that might help to end uh, these unfortunate uh, events we had slight differences he knew that I felt there was something in the idea of experimental inter-denominational education as a means of nipping the uh, evolution of violence in the bud. But nevertheless, he was always able to discuss these matters with me objectively and calmly. I felt that he was a man who was a warm friend, and as I said at the beginning, he had this extraordinary mix of authority and diffidence, which I think became the man. And I know that he would be sadly missed not only by his own co religious in the North but all those with whom he worked so unceasingly with for peace.
0: The young William Conway was a navid reader and he remained one, as Father Jim Lennon recalls.
7: It was always, it was always a sort of, of, of bewilderment to me um, when he got the time to uh, read so much. For instance, you could hear him. You'd find him uh, talking about Camus. He was a very keen student of Camus. Um, Also, perhaps unexpectedly, he was a very keen student of Marcuse. And in 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 relaxed moments, would um, talk uh, impressively uh, in in uh, giving account of his critique of Marcuse, and showing an appreciation of Marcuse's insights. This was always a sort of of, of great surprise to me uh, when he did this kind of reading.
0: Some may remember his tribute to Samuel Beckett when he was awarded the Nobel Prize. But again, he had interests nearer home. As the President of Manuth on Tatter Thomassa Faith recalls.
12: The Lord Nageliga Golifag and Cardinal Agas Kanyasuasaka Geliga Galan Wash Nurvisha and Oganak is Minica Kaheche, Trevshi and Idor Agas Kahari her on a farster, the Anvas Egy and Widdy Agas Bagrahle stopoja ja Oig and Snatrukadei. Me Mehev Nori, norvi Kellura Kegablian, O Wunner on a who is your rash on the hatcher, Agas Visha Yanis and Affron, Sacalischa, and Large Edinach come and Comeru. Lorshalish and slow Agas Noxia and Yacht the give your father Macon me and Lashin. Agas and Shin nor Vian Charman as Puebly Hart, Jerishiorum Eorch Hartig and Chach and Miosha Stoppo. Vian Chan Lano and Maru, Edramine, Ach the Cony of Foil. Agas couldn't ferrin the Foil River Agasan shin husbands are doing and yag anamac a viewer in a, 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 a shamry and a imshire hayn agasan carig war as dorish er graclash a clechlor lugan chorthe agasan stieger nillesogam altan autan yngelige rio ak tugam fujara coupletion of the irishlor, irish we knew it fime garker chonoc warer veer irish lords of leen choche shacht era agasan letchriacht an Chedal vieir Visha Karshiason, Erendoi, a yarran, and Jalvador, Jal of egg, a makas piece of cliche. Agas guess Erendoihain, a gagahi, and Phillimore Gaelige, Kainch vio, and a gayltoctor, Glacco. I guess danta, yaru aschi. Nishin dihed blino hen, or shriev one maidchen. I guess Neroen, Shano Rirdine, a marchin or girine, a shriev sanam. The rear of Nidolan Gorulchehain, a gashan, Mar Kegovron Olskon Naheron came a norak eran vercho a nori eran lache and Niro Shon Abata the Hilahir Agas Tan Vercho imiherlinifirin ye nish. The Spacewar Eggis star Naherin fasta, Nuri and na Aspo Kantanard Waka E Dusame E, Vikoniar Nunjalgan or Naya, Agas Leeche Gahrod the Vila File Fistar in Cantoshin, Gahiri her, kidwarden the bon in ak me has soil yo fines marson marham for fiko inel na document in snowading papers akoz alehe je the an vasco jo ayar e onel gaire ho dalshi micheline walsh litchraka jeranakar e inel in san irish sword estou he nak nor norku no gaili gory adam cardel marigro shorax and amkhena is shumi I märkta gälliga lä, gemlina nu och ser och köpa tjockan. en tjejda affron gälliga. Där källor är helfisk ärende ju. Äsken vi med källor och åren vid Garman. Så väll en tjocka då och Än sen väll en kapp under Aspåge. Håg sen en sen and when I guess Norvimish Birch, a Golhig, Immokti Harsile, a Givinier, country... and Leavener, and a Scalic Bugna Carfather, lore Michelicale, as given them, hogmuch court, Er varbor, a bar, a certain Mo, I guess Vimich, a Lord Gaelic, and Norvishes and Sakahir, I Barbor Lin, an Anim J, okay, Lord Frankish, kíen and Changa Shin. The Cardinal
0: had a keen sense of history, but a keen sense of contemporary needs too. He knew the importance of good communications to the Church of his time. Father Agnello Andrew.
13: My first meeting with him grew out of my work as a broadcaster. We were both young men. He was a professor at Maynooth, and I had recently been appointed to take charge of Catholic broadcasting in the BBC. I had done some Lenten talks for Radio Aaron, and also, with the boldness of youth, I had dared to do a few broadcasts with the ambitious title A Catholic Social Scientist Looks at the Irish Constitution. Oh, the patient people of Ireland. However, Dr. Conway was interested and even set me right on a point or two. A correspondence began and soon he invited me to address the Maynooth Union on broadcasting. I don't remember anything about the talk, but I do remember vividly Dr. Conway's room late that night, sitting there on a low stool by the fireside, listening to some of the best conversation I've ever heard. Dr. McGarry was there, I think, and Dr. Philbin and a few others. Later, I went with him to his home in Belfast to watch a marvellous French television programme on the recently restored Easter Vigil, for which I had done the English commentary. And sadly, I remember him helping us broadcasters working in the snow blizzard at the funeral of his predecessor, Cardinal Dalton. People in positions of high responsibility often find working in the media difficult and indeed full of tensions. But he understood how radio and television enabled the good news of the gospel to reach everyone in the land, and he gave encouragement and help, without, I think, ever really enjoying broadcasting very much himself. Although I must say the impact of some of his later broadcasts was powerful indeed. The last time I was in regular contact with him was during the Second Vatican Council, where, after the strains of the first difficult sessions, he emerged in a very important world figure, gaining the great respect of the fathers of the Church. He made his own unique contribution in difficult times to the noble line of archbishops of Armagh.
0: It was during the Vatican Council and at a subsequent synod of bishops where the cardinal was one of the three co-presidents, that Louis MacRedmond got to know him as a journalist. He enjoyed the
14: company of journalists. He liked to pit his knowledge against our cynicism, his total recall of what we'd written against our fumbling efforts to explain what we meant. He thus forced us to think, but he made us feel wanted too. It's all very well for you fellows, he'd sometimes say, at once envying our freedom and making it clear that his world would be the poorer without us. And so it would have been, not because we were dispensers of light, but because we offered a view from another vantage point upon the events which engaged his mind. It wouldn't have been possible, this ongoing and mutually fruitful exchange, without the relaxed and friendly atmosphere he generated around him. The most hardened newsman fell victim to the Cardinal's good humour, and confrontation quickly yielded to reasoned dialogue. Only the rash expected to win the argument, but more often than many realised, a journalist's perception became the point of reference for a later statement from Arma. We couldn't talk to a cardinal the way you do, an American reporter once told me in awe, and a German added, I wish we had cardinals like that. He was sometimes impatient with the journalists' impatience. Does it matter, he'd ask, if Ireland implements a decision six months after England or Holland? His measure of good journalism was not that it should reflect official attitudes, but that it should be well informed, calmly expounded, competently written. He found extreme positions suspect. I feel there's a great need, he wrote to me once, for people who'll do their utmost to hold the balance evenly between left and right. It was a pastor's priority, the pursuit of consensus between all God's people. If church affairs in his time were opened out to adult discussion, it was his doing as well as ours. There was an affection between us, warm and vibrant and healthily disputatious. We mourn his passing as we would mourn the untimely death of a highly regarded and stimulating colleague. Than that, no journalist's emotion can strike a deeper chord. We
15: leave the final word to one of his priests, Father Dennis Fall. The work of the Cardinal can be summed up in a well known Irish proverb Ni he la na giecha la na scalub. The day of the big wind is not the day for the thatching. The Cardinal always looked to the future and often spoke to us priests in Armagh of the storms that lay ahead and of the opportunities to preach the gospel that lay ahead for Armagh and for Ireland. He did not wait for the storms. He prepared the church to take the strain of nights of big wind, Ica na The building of structures in Armagh and for the Irish church was his work. Its full benefits would not be seen for ten, perhaps, or twenty years or more. He was a good Thatcher. He wanted his work to protect the house of God and to keep it safe until the end of the century. He never had any use for instant solutions or instant applause. Deeply he dug the foundation, which is Christ, and patiently, piece by piece, he laid on the thatch with the skill of a master craftsman. As a result of these years of hard and unrelenting work, the Church in Ireland and the Church in Armagh can look up to the sky and face the wind and the rain with confidence the House of God in Ireland and the House of God in Armagh, Chuck Fodric, will say many times, thank you for the thatching. Ar yes, Jay, the